Speaking of loading in and loading out, we're going to be looking back at Jacob in this story. As you get to the end of Genesis, we've had this long pause from Jacob as we dwell on Joseph, his son, one of, one of 12. And we come back and we see the amazing things that God is doing in Joseph. And why is he doing that? And I really think it's to get the patriarchs back on track to get Jacob back to Israel. And so I was looking at this passage, and I touched on this a little bit last week and the transformation process that happened in Jacob's life. But in this journey, we've really come a long way, haven't we? We've learned a, a lot about relationships along this way. We've learned how to deal with conflict. We brought up a principle that we stand behind at White Rose in Matthew 18. If you got a problem with your brother, you go to your brother and you get right with him, right? And I've been talking about that with the youth group, and it's so funny because I'll, I'll always put myself in the, in, the, in the wrong, and then I always say, well, you're crazy. By the end of it, I'm fired, right? Because that's what would happen. That's what should happen to me as a pastor. If I went against the leadership of this of White Rose Fellowship Church and I was in the wrong, I should be fired, even if it's in just something so simple and something so small, but if I was, had a rebellious heart in that and it was obvious to all the elders, it's time to let that pastor go. Because that is not the spirit of the Lord. That's not something that we want to harbor here. And that goes with, as for me, it goes for each one of us as well. And so when we have a problem and conflict, it's important to resolve that quickly. And we need to confess our sins to one another. Oh, yay, it's time for confession. I love this Sunday. Right? Nobody wants to confess their sin. Why? So a lot of times when we confess our sin, it, one, it, for, it takes the power away from that sin. But when we hang on to that sin, we make it secret, it is there dwelling in our hearts, and that is a dangerous place to be. It really is a dangerous place for that sin to be. And so we need to take a moment out of chapter 46 to focus on Jacob's timeline, but I need to pause a minute to talk about our pew Bibles and the the translation that I really like. It's a New Living Translation, and there's not necessarily a discrepancy because it's in the footnotes, but it's important that the name change, when he talks about Jacob, a lot of times in... um, if you look at the NASB, if you look at the King James Version, you look at the ESV, or you look at the NIV, all those versions are going to change Jacob's name to Israel when he is following the Lord. And the New Living Translation is there so you understand that the character doesn't change. And so they keep the name at Jacob. But if you see in, I think it's uh, 4521, and 28, the footnote's under 21, so it's hard to find that footnote sometimes that it says in the Greek manuscripts, Israel. And then there's significance in that because it, when you read Jacob in many of the scriptures, you know, he's talking about fallen Jacob, right? He's talking about the guy that's dwelling in the world. And when he's talking about Israel, 
He is talking about the guy that's sanctified, that is walking with God, that God has changed him, his heart's changed, and he has this, um, he's been transformed. He's never going back. That's, there's a song that we listened to before baseball, and that's how it goes. I've been transformed, never going back, but I'm not going to go to, I'm, I want to. I so want to sing that song right now, but I'm not going to. All right, keep going. Come on, Shane. Here we go. Here we are. Here, another place, it, and it's, I would say it kind of falls short, right, in that. And so Genesis 32, 28, it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the the man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. Here we find Jacob's name was changed to Israel. In 33, it goes back to Jacob because Jacob has not been transformed yet. When he walks into the promised land, that's when his name is changed to, back to Israel. So we see in 34, his sons are referred to as Jacob's sons as well because they don't do well. They mess up a lot in chapter 34. There's, and their sinful nature is like that of the deceiver of their father, who's the play on words Jacob goes with. And I'm not going to say his name means deceiver, but it's a play on words, Okay. It means grasping for that firstborn. And he does that a little bit through deception. In chapter 35, verse 10, a God, again, God reminds Jacob that his name will be called Israel. This is when he's getting ready to come out from his father-in-law, go into the promised land. And yet in verse 14, it goes back to Jacob and it stays that way. And I would say, like I said before, the name Jacob seems to indicate his old self. It indicates his sinful lifestyle. Or, And what kind of sin are we talking about? Self-dependent. Self-dependent lifestyle. And you're like, well, I do that all the time, pastor. Well, guess what? This pastor does that all the time too. Okay? But when I'm self-dependent, I am, I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm Shane. And when I'm, um, Lord dependent, I'm Christian, right? I, I've been transformed, and I do go back. So, but it's the mindset of walking out of that, walking out of my old self and taking off my old sinful nature and putting on my new self of Christ and saying, hey, God, I want to be like you. And so where do I get this putting off and putting on? I turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 21 through 24 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that has come from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Who does the transformation? It's not me. It's the Spirit of God. When I allow him to work in me, when I ask him to transform me, when I say, God, I don't understand your scriptures, Lord, help use your spirit to show them to me, then scripture starts to be revealed. And instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, does that mean that I'm ever going to arrive at righteous and holy? No, I don't, I don't think I will. There's a danger in thinking that we can all become righteous and holy 
because I think that takes away our dependence on Christ. The only way that we can reach moments of righteousness and holiness is when we're walking with Jesus. Okay? If we're not walking with Jesus, we are never going to be righteous and holy. We are going to be self-righteous and unholy. Right? So that's where I like to walk a lot of times, unfortunately. And so when I get into that position... I start to do my self-evaluations and I see where is God working in my life that I have to walk back to him. What does that look like, pastor? Well, it looks like, well, I'm glad we got this. It looks a lot like King Nebuchadnezzar in micro bits. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He said, look at the kingdom that I have built. William? Birdman, right? Turns him into Birdman right? So I don't want to be Birdman ever. And so when I walk toward that, um, I ask God to convict my heart to walk away from that self-righteous behavior. That's where I have to give God the glory. That's why I, I emphasize that a lot, because that's something that's important for me to do. But it's also important for me to give God the pain, give God the angst. Oh, I get, give God my frustrations, right? Because if he can handle the glory, surely he can handle my frustrations. Because a lot of times frustrations comes from self-righteousness. Oh, dang it, here we are right back where I started, right? They all come from the same place. When I try to, to bring my, about my own salvation, again, I'm stuck in that place again. So this is where I'm getting at. Last week, invert, in. Genesis chapter 45, the ends with the brothers coming out of Egypt to Jacob and declaring that their brother Joseph is still alive. And after jo- Jacob sees the wagons and hears the words of Joseph, it says in verse 28, and this is the NASB, it says, then Israel said, it is enough for my son. Is, my son is still alive and I will go see him before I die. He gets this promise from the Lord. He is going to go see his son. He has got to be up there in age. And not only does it say that, but it says his heart was transformed. That he, there was, that's what it means, that he was transformed into the person that God always wanted him to be. And so that when he threw off that mourning of his son and he realized that Joseph was still alive, he comes in and says, wow. God is doing something in my life right now and I'm transformed. And then it goes right back to calling him Jacob again. What in the world? I thought he was just transformed here. Okay, we'll explain that along the way. So our journey in, in Christ includes looking back in assessment. We want to look back in our life. How have we been doing? How have we been living? Are we coasting? Are we pursuing the Lord? Are we getting the Bible on a daily basis? Are we hearing from the Lord so that we can communicate it to others? Are we taking some of the the pain of others and communicating it back to the Lord? Is there that relationship going on? Then we need to press forward in transformation. God is transforming us by the renewing of our mind and renewing of our hearts and that's transforming into our souls. And then we give thanks to God in our contentment. 
We are content with the love the Lord has given to each one of us. So we need to press forward. Let's look at Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 8. It says, So Israel set out for Egypt with all his possessions, and when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God, the father, the God of his father, Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Notice that. God calls him Jacob. Here I am. Jacob replied, I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. So Jacob left Beersheba, and his son took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all their personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt, sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, and all his descendants. Now there are names of the sons of Israel, Jacob his sons, who went to Egypt. That's where I'm going to quit because I don't know all those names, right? But there's significance in that, and we'll get to that as well. Okay, he calls them the sons of Israel. Why does he call them the sons of Israel and not the sons of Jacob like he did back in chapter 35? Because they've had their transformation already happen when they met Joseph. Joseph said, don't quarrel along the way. Don't go back to your old self. You are now sons of Israel. You are not sons of Jacob. They've been transformed. Judah starts to take the role that he was meant to do. And his dad starts to assign him that. And we'll see that later on um, next week. So pressing forward. Now I have to ask myself, why the shiftings of the names? Why do we go back? Why are we going back and forth? First, we look back where we had come from in the story to see, see what we can find. So when he is Jacob, he is following the ways of the world, the ways of self. When he is called Israel, he's following the ways of the Lord. Why is this? Because I see when he is called Jacob, he has doubt instead of faith. He's losing the faith battle. What does God work in always? He works um, with his grace by faith. Right? When we surrender to his grace, we walk forward in faith. Right? So we see that walking forward. So we have doubt in Jacob. The Lord meets him with him one more time, and he reassures Jacob that he is going to make it to Egypt, which is kind of funny. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So he says, Don't be afraid. God will be with you. Joseph will be with you when you die. And he will actually be the one that's going to close your eyes. So there's going to be a, the intimate moment that you get to see when that comes, up, comes down to it. So why then, so I'm asking all these why questions this week. Why do they have to go down to Egypt? Because if you think about it, and you think about the past in Genesis, and you think about the future of Genesis, 
Egypt almost always, and in the prophecies, I would say like 95%, maybe 100%, Egypt refers to the world. So why are they going down to Egypt? Why is God sending them back into the world? It's a good question, right? And people will say, well, he is preparing the promised land for them. He is clearing them out, clearing the way so they can come back and setting that up. That might be part of the, the reason, but I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what it is. I think God could have done that with them in the promised land. I think they're going back to Egypt or they're going down to Egypt due to Jacob's sin. Okay? Jacob has walked away from the Lord. He has allowed his boys to walk away from the Lord. There's been no ramifications for what Judah did with Tamar. There's been no ramifications for what Simeon and his brother did when their sister was raped, Dinah. He just says, oh, it's going to be the death of me. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Let's move away from here. And he acts in fear. There's no repentance there. There's no burning on the altar to say, Lord, forgive us and forgive my kids. This would be a good uh, time for him to meet Job. He doesn't meet Job right there. Job would have made sacrifices for his sons and daughters, right? So he goes down to Egypt because God's taking him out of the promised land. You're not ready to go in there, and we're not going to send you in there with 12 sinful sons or 11 sinful sons. So I'm going to hit the reset button with Joseph, who was starting to follow the Lord. Jacob recognized it, and I think really the brothers recognized it too, but they hated it. They didn't want to walk that way. They wanted to walk their own way. And so as they walk toward that, the more and more Joseph preaches out against it, and he might have done it a little bit arrogantly at the beginning, but maybe not. I don't know. As he walks in that, you see God showing up and removing Joseph from his brothers and his father. I'm going to go build him down in Egypt, his character. And Joseph is part of the reset button, isn't he? The son helps the father get back into shape. So why does God send Jacob out of the promised land into the world? Because Jacob was not being faithful in the promised land, and this would be the consequences of sin. Not always is it all Jacob's sin. There's some that his sons and things do as well. Um, But it leads to sin. There's the famine. The famine wouldn't have been there if... If Jacob would have followed faithfully, I don't think we would have had the famine. We wouldn't have needed it, right? But the famine was there to call Israel back. It was to Egypt to bring them into a safe place so they could be separate in Goshen. And so God can do some amazing things. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I believe there are the res- result of drawing Israel and his people back to God. Verse 8 calls them the sons of Israel, it doesn't call them the sons of Jacob. It calls them the sons of Israel. These are the sons of Israel. They have been transformed. There is transformation that has happened. They had a heart change. Jacob still needed to have closure. When Jacob sees his son Joseph, that's when the closure happens. That's when his heart is transformed because God, once again, the third time, tells him, 
Um, he doesn't tell any of the other guys before that, but he, he comes to Jacob three times and tells him that this is how it's going to be. And that brings up the problem of sin. So a lot of times with sin, when you have, and this is not all the time because God can do miracles, okay? So this is a human pattern that can happen. Is not When God steps in, sometimes he can cure sin instantly, right? So as a Christian, as I follow the, the Lord, and when I get into sin, when I get into sin fast, I'm fast in, fast out, okay? I'm capable of extreme sin to jump into it and jump right back out of it, okay? I'm like, oh, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Lord, forgive me. And I, and I go for long periods of time without jumping fast in, fast out of sin. But if I find myself that I've walked slow into sin, then I walk slow out of sin. And sometimes that's because the Lord says, okay, if that's your baby, then you better be able to take care of it. And then until I'm sitting down on my knees crying and saying, Lord, I can't deal with this by myself, he's like, it's about time you figure that out. Now we'll start to walk out of it. Right? We have to surrender in both cases, don't we? Now I would say when somebody is a non-Christian and we walk into Christ, there's a better chance for slow into sin to go fast out because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there would be one instance. And can God take and lift that off of you? Absolutely he can. Sometimes he chooses not to because of our act of rebellion in that. Okay? So I thought that need to be, this is a pattern that is going to take some time for Israel to overcome. Jacob has found his identity in grief. He is grieving his son. And Israel finds his identity and restoration because in restoration, whether it's in this life or the next, restoration comes from because God's love for us. So where do we find our identity? White Rose, I asked this question of the youth this Thursday and I just left it there. They were so happy. They were just like, oh, thank you for not giving us the answer. Because we talked about our culture today. Our culture today wants to set certain ways up for you. That's, it's, it's my right. It's my right. That's my identity. Identify in that. Or I can be whatever I want to be. So if I want to be a boy or if I want to be a girl now, I can be whatever I want to be. We tell our kids that. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. But is that really true? Isn't that, don't we need to have boundaries in that? Absolutely, we need to have boundaries. And God's word gives us those boundaries. And so if we say you can be whatever you want in the boundaries that are set about with God's word, I can get with that a little bit more. But there's also danger in telling your kid that you can be whatever he wants to be and then when they get to the point where they want to be it and they're not good enough, there can be some major identity crisis there, right? 
part of that is the hard work they don't put into it. But sometimes people put on all the hard work and they just don't have the natural talent to get where they need to go. And they can't. So, where do we find our identity? When everything comes in and there's a mess across the floor, and we're like, how am I going to find, where am I going to go? We find it in the love of Christ. As a Christian believer, we find it in the love of Christ. So why did they go down to Egypt? It was a result of sin and the path that Jacob and his children were taking. They were walking away from the Lord, and so God entered in a trial, and he entered in hardship to draw them back to him. The love of God. What makes us different than the world? We see the world through the lens of Christ. We look at the Bible first, and then we find we discover our worldview. We don't put blinders on. We don't pick certain points of chapters in the Bible and say, okay, this is the section I'm going to go, and I'm going to walk just like this. Because we look silly, right? And sometimes we do as Christians out in the world. We look silly. How should we go? We should go in twos. We should go in pairs. Because if we have that, we have accountability. When we fall down, one picks us up, a cord of three is hard to break. Right? So we make a difference in this world. So God gives us his example on how we should live, how we should love, and how we should govern all comes from his word. So where do you find your identity? Is it found in Christ Jesus? First. Because if not, I would say you're on shifting sand. And you're not sure where I'm going. I don't know how I identify. I don't know who I am, Pastor. That is a big indicator that you don't have a foundation in Jesus Christ. Do you seek the Lord to know him? Do you get into his word? to discover who Jesus really is? Have you ever read the Gospels, all four of them? You're like, no. Well, how are you going to know your rabbi? It's a good question. I remember when I was, I don't know, it's probably about 16, somebody asked me, you ever read your Bible before, the whole thing all the way through? No. I didn't read my Bible all the way through until I was 20, probably. It's a lot different when you read it instead of listen to the kids, kids version, <laughs> right? Um, but to seek the Lord, to know him, means that I not only read God's word, but I meditate on it. Do you surrender to him in prayer? Is he the authority in your life? Do you say, God, you're the one I need, and so I have a brother that's hurting. I'm going to lift him up to you. I'm hurting. I need help in this area. I'm surrendering that problem to you. Putting my hands up and surrender, right? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and you're seeking lasting change through him? If you want to know if somebody's a Christian, you look at their lifestyle. You look at their actions. How do they act? Are they trying to eradicate sin that is in their life? That shows you. That's one big indicator 
that you're following the Lord. Where do you get that from? Most of 1 John. It, goes, it just cycles through those three things, right? Eradicating sin, you're seeking God, and you're willing to tell others about him. Put your faith into practice. Those are pretty much the three themes that come out of 1 John. So our journey in Christ includes looking back in assessment, pressing forward in transformation, and giving thanks to God and our contentment. So living in contentment. Let's finish off Genesis 46. We're going to start in 26 because there's some numbers there we need to look at. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, not counting his sons, wives, was uh, 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt. So altogether, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father. Jacob, and this is Israel now, says, when Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen since I have seen your face again and know you're still alive. Could you imagine that embrace? I haven't seen him forever, and he just hangs on to him. What a reunion. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him, my brothers and my father's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds. They raise livestock. They have brought with them their flocks and their herds and everything they own. He, then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him, we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives as our ancestors have always done. And when you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. God is calling them out to be separate from the Egyptians. So living in contentment. We see the descendants without Joseph are 66, not including the wives in this story, right? 66, which would be man's number. Man's number is six. Why do we call it man's number? Because we, six is a number of grace, okay? So if you need grace, you... Generally, in the, in the Bible, it, it refers to the number six. You see it a lot in the, book of, in the Gospel of John. You see it a lot in the book of Genesis, especially is where those two symbols come. To say it twice, the 66, means that God is in this, but they are still not enough on their own, right? So with Joseph, their descendants, we now have 70. Well, we have a seven and a ten, Ten would be a complete set. Seven is the number of sanctification. So when we're sanctified in Christ, we are complete in Christ, and we can be with God, therefore 70. Okay? So that's where we get that. So with Joseph in the picture, Israel and his family are now sanctified because they're walking in the plan of God again. Okay? Has it changed from where they wanted to be? Yeah, it has but they're going to be in Goshen for a while. But was it predicted by God? 
do we know that they were going to go down to Egypt? Who's he tell that to? For 437-some years, I think. He tells Abraham that. He says to Abraham, you're going to go down to Egypt. They're going to come out, and they're going to come out a great nation. And it's, he, he, tell, he lays it all out for them. Earlier on in Genesis, we've studied that. Okay? Joseph settles them in the land of Goshen because this is fit for shepherds. This is also important because Egyptians won't mix with Israelites due to their occupation. They will allow them to flourish as foreigners in a strange land and yet keep their culture, to keep their own God. So, unfortunately, it doesn't turn out quite like that because they start to get incorporated into the Egyptian way of life, right? And God calls them out. How do you know that? How do I know that they, well, if you fast forward to um, Exodus, the first 10, we have 10 plagues, right? The first four, for sure, maybe the first five, they happen to the Israelites and the Egyptians, and then God separates them, and God's calling them back to him once again. You see this pattern? It's, it's nothing new under the sun, folks. We are all like sheep. We all like to turn away from God, and he keeps calling us back and calling us back. And so the quicker we can get back to him, the better, right? So work on the micro assessments instead, so we don't have to do a macro one. That's what I try to do. If the Lord is calling us to be shepherds, are we content with that? Or do we need to be Egyptians? Think about this. They walk into the land of Goshen and they're like, oh, we're thankful to be in Goshen, but man, look at the shiny cups they're drinking out of and we're drinking out of these clay pots. Does that happen in our life? Yeah, it does, it does happen because you see that in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 11 when we are talking about communion. Paul addresses that. Some of you guys are rich. And you think they should get special privileges. Some of you guys are poor and you don't think they should get anything at all. But that's not how it works in the church. We all gather together under the same God and we are equal in that. That's interesting. So like the Israelites, the Lord has called us to come out and be separate from the world. Where is the Lord working in your life to make changes to be more like him and less like the world? Where is God calling us out of this? What do we need to put off, just like we talked about in Ephesians chapter 4? Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. What is creeping back in? Where is the culture affecting your relationship with God? Well, I deserve this. Have you ever got, how many people have bought a car in their lifetime from a salesman? The big line lately is, you deserve this car. You deserve this car. I don't deserve squat, buddy. I deserve to go to hell, literally. That's what I deserve. By the grace of God, I have the money to be able to afford this car. Praise God. So don't give me what I deserve because I don't want it. I don't want to go to hell. I want a car to get my family around. And so don't give me a pitch on what I deserve. I haven't used that one yet, but one of these days my wife's going to have a crotchety old man and he's going to come out with that. 
That's right. So I'm just warning her now. Instead, be like children. Like the children of Jacob, God enters into our lives with trials and hardships to draw us back to him. We must self-evaluate why these trials are there. Repent and turn to the Lord for our redemption so we can be children of Israel, right? So what are the things that we need to put on? Anytime, anytime, folks, you work on taking your old self off, you have to put something in its place. So if you have a negative attitude, if your glass is always half empty, that is your choice. You have that choice to choose your attitude. And so you can choose to put on. I would say the five people that have the biggest influence in your life are the five that are the closest to you. Self-evaluate. Do I need to change my circle of friends? How important is that, parents, on who our kids hang out with? It formulates us. We see that in our work pattern, right? I've seen that in my life. I, told, I just told my daughter the other day, I can see it in Piper sometimes. I said, I was not allowed to ride home on the bus with Mike Sandretto every day because Mike did not have a good attitude. Therefore, Shane did not have a good attitude. And how much easier is it to have a bad attitude than a good attitude? It's simple to have a bad attitude. It's a choice to have a good attitude, right? It's easy to be half glass empty. It's hard to be half glass full, right? Unless you put it into practice or you hang out with me. I'm very full glass. That thing is full. I tell you, it's full enough, right? No, I, and that is something that my parents have instilled in me. Clear back in kindergarten on the bus. Can't do that. I was actually first grade. So what are the things I need to put on? I need to look at the people I'm hanging out with. I need to know, am I getting in God's word? I keep track of my Bible plan on my phone. And if I don't, if I look on my Bible plan, and this usually happens about Friday when I'm prepping my sermon, and I see about four days I haven't gotten into it because I didn't get into it till like, yeah, then I'm jumping, I'm catching up. Dave knows because he follows me on my, he's like, oh, there's Shane highlighting again. That's right. So I'm catching up. I'm reading my Bible plan again. Yep. And that has a direct correlation with my attitude and how I walk. As the church body, we are not here to judge other people and what they're going through, are we? It's not our place. Now, are we here to keep our brothers and sisters accountable? Yes, that is different than judging someone. Right? Especially when somebody comes in the doors and they don't know who Jesus is, then we need to come alongside them with compassion. We need to be the person that we want them to see we want them to see Jesus, right? So it's not putting on a facade. It's not saying, well, here, I got it all together. Look at me polished. So I got a tie on today. I must be extra polished today. and Work that thing over. Yeah. No, that's not it at all. That's why I don't wear a tie. That's one of the reasons why I don't wear a tie. Did you know that? 
Don't put on a suit because it's not about who we are. That's not this neighborhood, right? We are here to be like Jesus, and Jesus dressed like the common man, right? I'm so tempted to wear a t-shirt and jeans every Sunday, but I don't. (laughs) I know. So where are we? We set boundaries in how we walk with the Lord. We come alongside brothers that are hurting. We don't say, you got to do better. Well, if, you just, if you're just a better person, well, no kidding. Don't you think I know that? Don't you think I know that I'm struggling with this addiction? Don't you think that I don't want to yell at my kids? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. So we're not really concerned about what's the past, Right? Anytime I can counsel somebody, I, don't, I say, we're not concerned about your past. We're concerned now that you're aware of your past, what are you going to do going forward? What are you going to do now? And when you fall next time, because a lot of times you will, especially if you're slow and slow out of your sin, when you fall next time, how are you going to come out? Are you going to come out by rebuking that? Gotcha. So, Our journey in Christ includes looking back in assessment, pressing forward in transformation, giving thanks to God and our contentment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we can be here with your love, your kindness, and your compassion. Lord, I pray that we would reflect that into others so that they will understand that that we serve a compassionate, loving God. Lord, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making life in Christ Jesus. And as we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. But draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, and make disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.